It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. My name is Philip Rossenreich. I'm the expert insight editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com and the host of Locked On Magic. You can follow me on Twitter at R underscore OMD. And this week is, at least in my opinion, a week of celebration for Orlando. I know Magic fans. I know it's a week of celebration for Detroit Pistons fans. It is Hall of Fame week. Grant Hill heading into the Hall of Fame. And I thought it would be a great time to discuss Grant Hill and all of and his entire career with Matt Schock of Locked On Pistons. Matt, I pronounced your last name right. I forgot to check before we started recording. Yeah, it's actually Shook, but uh, but no worries. Shook. You're you're only the millionth person that's ever got it wrong in my life. So it's See, not this is why this is why you gotta t- go through these things before the show starts so you don't get embarrassed like that. Oh, not um, a problem. Matt, Matt, um, obviously, uh, Grant Hill, uh, one of the the kind of for, for Magic fans, one of the great unfulfilled promises, I think, uh, as far as as far as what he did in his career. But um, when when it was announced that Grant Hill was making the Hall of Fame, what what was what was your reaction? What were what was Pistons fans' reaction uh, to to that announcement? You know, it's funny, Philip, that you mentioned that, and I was looking at, and I, obviously his history in Orlando is pretty well known around the league. But when you say unfulfilled promise, it's actually pretty similar here in Detroit in terms of the unfulfilled promises on different levels, of course. But when he was drafted, uh, you know, third overall in the draft in 1994, he came in with such a just guns ablaze, and He was outstanding. He was a ready-made star already after four great years at Duke, national championship games, all that kind of stuff. Then he came in, he had the Sprite deal. He was the highest vote-getter in the All-Star game in 1994 as a rookie, which is completely unheard of when they're superstars in the league already that have established themselves and whatnot. Six years in the uh, in the NBA with the Pistons, and really um, one of the great players of that era, no doubt about it, but this is a team that never get out of the first round of the playoffs. And in year two, first, Grant's uh, first time in the NBA playoffs that was at the hands of Penny and Shaq, in Orlando, uh, a sweep, but one that was a, a, a positive sweep for the Pistons. They had been in the playoffs for the first time since the Bad Boys era ended and uh, really gave Penny and Shaq some some pretty good games in that three-game sweep that they had at the hands of Orlando. So they, at that point, they had Allen Houston and Lindsey Hunter after their third seasons, Grant Hill coming off of a strong year two. Things were looking good. Then Allen Houston leaves that offseason to go to the Knicks, and the Pistons really come back, and Doug Collins comes in. They have an outstanding season the, the next year as well, um, and they have, uh, even though Allen Houston's gone, they got what Grant called the best spirit of togetherness team he ever had in the league other than his college, and then one year that he had with the Suns later on in his career as well, but they lost to Atlanta in five games. And then over the next three years, they I think uh, Grant and uh, Grant went down with some injuries that the following season and his last two years they lost – to Atlanta once again in five and then Miami in a sweep before he leaves for a greener pastures down south. But like you said, 
uh, an un you know an unfulfilled promise. I mean, such a great start to his career with Detroit, and then kind of fizzles out. The team around him was never good enough. Uh, the organization at that point was was coming off of the post Bad Boys era, and it was never good enough. And it turns out, as we'll talk about here, uh, the trade that uh, ultimately brought Grant Hill down to. Orlando and what was essentially was a free agent acquisition thought of at the time. And then I woke up one morning and read the free press and figured out that, Oh, wait a minute. He wasn't, he didn't sign with Orlando. He was actually traded to Orlando for a couple guys that we'd barely heard of in Ben Wallace and Checky Atkins. And that ended up kind of uh, boosting up the Pistons next era of uh, championship basketball uh, after Grant left. Yeah. That, that I just had to give him that extra bit of money and, and, and give him that super max deal that, or that that full max bird rights max that 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 signing trades allowed allowed them to have and, and obviously set up the Pistons for their their next title runs. Um, just I, I I always feel like because of the six years in Orlando where where he really struggled to get off the bench and and getting that second wind in Phoenix where where he was playing uh, playing off the bench for the most part wasn't quite the same player. Uh, I, I always feel like people forget how staggering his numbers were with the Pistons those six seasons. 21.6 points per game, 7.9 rebounds per game, 6.3 assists per game. He had a 48% effective field goal percentage for a high usage player who didn't shoot a lot of threes. That was pretty incredible. And, and, and uh, you know, I remember the stats that were coming out about Grand Hill were he was putting up combinations of numbers that – really hadn't been seen since Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson. I mean, I, I was talking with, with someone um, earlier earlier today when we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday night um, that Grant Hill was really kind of doing, not as physically imposing, was really kind of doing what LeBron James has done throughout his career uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, he was just this all-encompassing player who, who could do it all and was, was I mean, again – putting up numbers that, that really no one had put up at certainly at his size and, and height um, since Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson. And, and that's pretty elite company to be hanging out, hanging out with. Yeah. It, it's um, a credit to all his skills. I think he was the first point forward, you know, so-called that we, that we hear so much about in the league now, but that was a credit to the the skills that he had. He developed even a little bit of a post game down at Duke as well. So he came in with that. He had the crossover dribble that everyone remembers in Detroit. He had the first crossover that, uh, you know, everyone talks about Iverson with the, maybe the more you know, classic uh, break your ankles crossover, but Grand Hills was just as effective. He could take that, go with either hand to the lane, score with both hands. Um, he was, like you said, he, he had the assists, the Pistons um, recognized to their credit. They recognized the, the fact that, Grant Hill could do everything, so they asked him to do everything. They kind of constructed the roster around that with a, a point guard in Lindsey Hunter who didn't necessarily need or want the ball in his hands as much of a traditional point guard. They had big men such as Terry Mills, Loy Vaught, and Christian Leitner back at that time who definitely didn't need the ball in the post, and they were more spot-up shooters, more modern types of fours and fives in the NBA that could knock down some shots. So those guys could do well these days, but with a guy like Grant Hill, in some ways you wanted to kind of get out of his way. A little bit awkward at times with Jerry Stackhouse in his last three years in Detroit kind of pair those guys uh, as well as the the last couple years of Joe Dumars's career with the Detroit Pistons with Grant Hill uh, kind of taking reins of the team so you know there there were some years that it was tough to figure out and tough to watch and see who was going to go off on a certain time because you had Stack and Hill both ball dominant players that needed to have uh, the ball in their hands but I can remember that last year 99-2000 that Orlando was kind of clearing the books. And if I remember correctly, 
the offseason plan for the Magic was originally to – I think they had the cap space to bring in the two superstars and that they originally wanted to bring in Tim Duncan coming off of a championship in the lockout year and uh, and Grant Hill. And it seemed like there was a time when that was going to happen until uh, the infamous story that Grant Hill told on TV this year about how um, Tim Duncan's now, now ex-wife – wouldn't be allowed on the plane with the team from what I understand was that would you think that was actually true that that was the backbreaker or do you think that's Grant Hill kind of seeing things you know um, you know differently in, in history I, I have I have heard many stories about why the magic didn't get Tim Duncan um the that I, I think that the 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 ex the now ex-wife the, the girlfriends the significant others traveling on the plane was one of many things that ultimately led Duncan to go back to San Antonio. Um, I heard a story that, you know, the magic in trying to wine and dine Tim Duncan um, did not order f- the food that Tim Duncan liked, and they were scrambling to find, like, cold, like I think it was cold cuts. Because Duncan's very, you know, plain, plain guy. They had, like, a big spread ready for him, and, like, someone came and said, he doesn't want any of this. He just wants, he just wants some basic cold cuts. And so they were scrambling to get that done, and, I think at the end of the day, and I mean, I, I personally think that, you know, Duncan was looking for an excuse not to come to Orlando at the end of the day because um, Ro- David Robinson cut his vacation short for, in Hawaii, flew to the Virgin Islands with Greg Popovich, and, and they kind of cornered Tim Duncan, got the last word in. And I, I think that's ultimately what swayed him to go back more than more than anything else. I think there were a, a number of things, like like so much of Magic history, there were a number of things where the magic left the door open for them to, to, to lose. And, and people who are smart, who are smart about how to handle NBA players, especially because the magic were still kind of a youngish franchise at the time. Um, they, they knew how to exploit that um, probably a lot better than, than the magic did at that time. Um, but I mean, I think it certainly played a factor in, in eventually not allowing those, I mean, those two players to, to pair up and, and the magic had the cap room to get Grant Hill Tracy McGrady and Tim Duncan that summer. In fact, I think that sign and trade happened because Hill originally agreed to a lower amount, um, uh, less than less than the full max. And when they didn't get Duncan, the Magic said, "We'll give you. I mean, we've got this extra room now. We'll give you. We'll we'll give you the full full money if 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 Detroit will agree to a sign and trade." And and that's I think how that actually went down. Yeah, I do remember that, that I, I couldn't place that into some Google search that I was doing, but I do remember that at, at, there was a short time there where it was thought that maybe all three of them would end up in, in Orlando. It would have been really the first super team uh, before LeBron and company, maybe, or I guess maybe Garnett and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce were the first big three, but it would have been really ahead of its time with a, a dominant team uh, looking like they could have gotten things going. But, but as it turns out, only McGrady and Hill end up in Orlando. And, and really from some of the abuse that Grant Hill put himself through with the Detroit Pistons, including that ankle, which was the first major injury that he had in Orlando, uh, the three-game sweep with the, the Heats, a couple of games that he probably shouldn't have been playing in, uh, and gutted through it, which is it kind of ties back to the same thing that Detroit fans have with Grant Hill. A lot of fans mistakenly, in my opinion, and really and not even not even a question about it, in my opinion, looking back, that, you know, he was just thought of as a soft player just because he was, wasn't was an Isaiah Thomas. He wasn't Joe Dumars. He he went to Duke. He came from a well-to-do family and all that stuff. Is really powerful. I mean, he was, I mean, he was a, a very finesse player, too, if I, if I yeah. remember correctly. I mean, he had, he had a lot of power, raw athleticism, explosiveness. But, he, he I mean, he was very much a finesse player. Like, he could work his way around the basket and kind of slash, slash around guys. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a bad boy piston. 
Yeah, he, he wasn't, but 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 my point is that he certainly wasn't a soft player. He was a very tough no. player. He played through injuries. He was a different kind of player than maybe what Detroit was used to. But, you know, like I said, the end of his Pistons run kind of precluded to, you know, a, a rough time in Orlando kind of right from the beginning, it seems like. Yeah, because, I mean, when, when, when Grant Hill got off the plane to sign his contract with the Magic or to visit Orlando, he was on crutches coming off that injury um, during the playoffs at the year before in 2000. Uh, and and it's kind of a it's kind of a joke around town now that you know the Magic should never sign a player on crutches again. I mean, I think it didn't come to this, but if the Magic would have had the option to pick Joel Embiid, I, I remember saying at the time, this franchise will not sign a player, will not draft or sign a player that's on crutches for the opening press conference. That's they're 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 just not going to go through that again. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting how you bring up that people consider Grant Hill kind of soft because. Um, you know, obviously when you're out, when you're injured, when you can't play through an injury, you get that label on you. And I feel like some Magic fans still, or at least certainly at the time, Magic fans believed that Hill was not doing everything he could to get back on the floor. Um, and, and that was obviously not true. And, and I think one thing that a lot of Magic fans don't know or forget, perhaps, is, is, as was revealed in a Sports Illustrated article when he was with the Suns, um, Grant Hill, like, Grant Hill nearly died trying to play basketball for this team. He uh, he got a staph infection after one of his surgeries, just trying to come back too quickly, and was literally 110 fever, like nearly dying on the operating table and was, sa- and was saved. It, 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 I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. I'll try and find the link and, and share, share it through, through at least my social media cha- channels. Um, I, I just remember reading and just being horrified. And, and Grant Hill was a guy who – I think he felt the weight of the massive contract that he signed. He felt the the burden that Tracy McGrady was feeling trying to carry a team where the Magic really couldn't do anything financially with the with the with with his contract also on the books. Uh, and I think part of the reason Grant Hill only played let's look like what uh, forty seven games in his first three years in Orlando. I think a big reason for that is because Grain Hill was too determined to come back too quickly uh, and and the Magic just and, – and obviously hurt himself in the process to doing that. And it seems like that's something that he did in Detroit kind of quietly, certainly in that playoff series. That's something he did in Detroit kind of quietly that, you know, he played through injuries because he was, he was, he was a lot tougher than people gave him credit for. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Yeah, absolutely, and it's kind of a continuing theme with Grant Hill. And uh, but there were some decent years, and they end up getting, he played with Dwight Howard a, a little bit in Orlando, if I if I recall correctly. Yes, and did. I remember yep. going through some, going through some old numbers um, recently. He actually played in a Christmas Day game against the Pistons for Orlando, and then uh, that year I believe he was out come playoff time, and that's when the Pistons uh, went up against uh, Orlando in a playoff series, and Dwight mm-hmm. Howard. Crew, this wasn't the you know the Tracy McGrady uh, three to one the series the two thousand the two thousand seven play the two thousand seven playoff series um, the, the Pistons swept the Pistons the Magic were the eight seed Pistons were the one seed and uh, 
uh, Grant Hill in that series, the only playoff series that Grant Hill actually played in that playoff series, the only playoff series uh, Grant Hill played in as an Orlando Magic player. He averaged 15 points per game, five and a half rebounds, 3.8 assists, shot a 50% effective field goal percentage uh, in those in that four game series uh, with a, a young Magic team that you know just was getting its first taste of the playoffs and ended up being the last game that Grant Hill ever played in a Magic uniform. And interestingly enough, after that offseason, as, as this whole thing kind of ties together in some ways, and, and, and you mentioned the SI article, and I'll point out, a, uh, point out also that, that Grant did a podcast with Adrian Wojnarowski. It was about 10 days ago, so now uh, check it out. It, it's really good. It's an hour-long conversation. It was outstanding. He goes over some of the Orlando times, the injuries, and, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but he, he talked about and, – and when you when you, when you think back of it, he talks about how he probably came back from injuries too, too quickly. And I know that, um, like you said, the Orlando fans, and, and really human nature of sports fans to think a guy who they were so excited to probably have come down there and look like the superstar that he was in Detroit and uh, to not play at all. You know, you probably villainize him, even though he, he probably he, he definitely didn't deserve it at the time. But he talked about how he was, you know, asked to be off his feet for, you know, months at a time and had to just like, shoot some free throws in, in Shaq's uh house down the street that he still had in Orlando at the time. And he'd watch games and they'd be on while he was shooting free throws in Shaq's gym. Uh, just kind of a really interesting interview really sheds light on that situation and his entire career, really eye-opening stuff from an eloquent guy who, uh, who, who does really well with those types of situations. And we hear him on college basketball broadcasts to this day, these, this day and everything. But after that playoff series that you, that we, you just talked about grant went, ended up going to Phoenix, but during that off season, this is when the Pistons were trying to get back to the finals after getting there in 04 for the championship in 05 uh getting to the seventh game they bring in flip saunders after larry brown leaves and they just can't get back they're in the eastern conference finals they lose they lose um and they're trying to figure out ways to retool grant hill at that time actually according to him was really close to coming back to detroit and being with the pistons that offseason as being maybe one of the missing pieces on the wing off the bench for that team which would have been a really interesting bookend and maybe would have made him more of a beloved figure in Detroit this these days, and he's he's not you know reviled or something like that in Detroit, but he's but his numbers not in the rafters like some of the lesser players from the championship teams like a Vinnie Johnson or a Rip Hamilton, guys that are you know very good players but not Hall of Fame type players like, like Grant Hill is, and and obviously. Grant leaving after six seasons has a lot to do with the fact that he's not beloved here in Detroit, but he ends up going to Phoenix and really kind of reestablishing his career as, a, as an outstanding role player, as a guy who guarded Kobe Bryant at times and ended up you know, playing with a really another very intelligent basketball player in Steve Nash and finding kind of a, some third legs for his career there out West. Yeah, and it's, it's, and that whole second phase of his career or third phase of his career, I suppose, I guess, um, was was really interesting to see. Obviously, Phoenix very well known for their for their good uh, training staff and medical team, um, but and and he only fed that 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 reputation. Um, but he he accepted a role and really redefined re- redefined his career. Um, obviously, didn't have the explosiveness or or the or the raw athleticism that he had as a younger player that that made him one of the top guys in the league. I mean, I think at Grand Hill Speak, he was probably one of the top five, six, seven players in the league. Um, he really did a good job kind of finding a second act like you've seen a lot of veterans do where he's able to play that supporting role and find, find a, a niche. And, and honestly, I don't know how you, you might, you might think about this. Um, did that, did that Phoenix turn cement his hall of fame credentials or 
were they, you know, if he would have retired in 2000, 2000, you know, take out his magic years, take out those Phoenix years, was he a Hall of Famer just based off his Duke, USA basketball, and Detroit Pistons exploits? No, I think he needed that Phoenix run, and not that he was an all-star or anything like that at that time, but, you know, you kind of needed to put up the, you know, say you played more than, you know, 12 years or so in the league, and uh, for him to have that third act there, I think, and, and to kind of, in some ways, put behind um, all the injuries and everything that happened in Orlando and prove that he could be not only a, a pretty good player, but a very good player at times with a team that was winning and playing playoff games and on television, national television games against the Lakers, high profile stuff. And, you know, him showing that he can play some of the defense that maybe he wasn't getting the recognition for playing early on in his career. And, and, and quite simply wasn't playing great defense early on in his career and wasn't asked to because he was asked to do so much offensively. But when he's put put with a guy like Steve Nash and put in a system like they had down in Phoenix. I, I do think he kind of needed that if the whole career uh, professional wise was just the Detroit era and then the Orlando era and then fizzles out or just has the one Clipper season that he had at the end as, as maybe instead of Phoenix or something like that. I think he did. He did need that in Phoenix. It was a nice way to kind of rehab what was such a promising career and ended up being really ultimately a disappointing one. And I think he would admit that too, just because of all the injuries that he had as he approached his prime and what should have been a, a strong time. But obviously in the basketball hall of fame, they take their college, um, you know, careers into account too. Cause there's, cause that's just how they do it with the basketball hall of fame and uh, four years at Duke, a couple of national championships, three appearances in the national championship game. Um, just one of the more, you know, recognized and celebrated college athletes of our time um, for a team that's obviously very high profile in Duke. I think he needed that in Phoenix. Do you, do you agree you've been already a, uh, a hall of famer with uh, getting off the plane in the crutches in Orlando? You know, I, I, tend to think that he would have been a hall of famer, even if he didn't have that second act in Phoenix. Um, the way, the way I approach the hall of fame is the players that are in the hall of fame are the players that obviously statistically have an impact in the game, but more importantly, it's, it's players who are essential to telling the story of basketball. And I feel like in the mid nineties, there are, there is in the 90 throughout the 90s there is very, there are very few players who are vital to telling the story of basketball more than Grant Hill um because he was obviously such a key player for you know back-to-back national champions champions at Duke and then came to the NBA and you know really kind of set the world on fire um you know he he had the you know he had, six years is, is nothing to, to sneeze at but he was playing six years at really an elite level. And I feel like if you left him out of the hall of fame completely, you would be missing a big piece of the story of basketball in the 1990s. Um, you know, obviously him entering with Jason Kidd, I think is really sweet is, is poetic in that they, they, they both won the the rookie of the year uh, that, that year. And both were just so transformative players. Like they were, they were, players who redefined their position in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, even though Grant Hill's time at the very, very top was, was pretty short uh, compared to maybe some other guys. And, and I think, you know, there, there might be an argument that he shouldn't be in the hall of fame. Um, but I, I just feel like he is such an essential piece of basketball history that leaving him out would be, you know, leaving out a huge part of what made basketball in the 1990s. 
really unbelievable one of the stories that came out and, and some one of the details about Grant Hill going in is he's going to be the first Duke player to ever play he ever gets the oh, uh, really? Hall of Fame which is hard to believe wow. but then you think about it, it's like a lot of these guys are really I mean, good he helped establish players. the Duke dynasty I think and, and I mean Coach K's teams were good but they were I mean he was part of Coach K's first national championship team if I'm not mistaken yeah, absolutely. And and guys like, you know, uh, apologies to Jay Billis, but uh, guys like uh, Danny Ferry uh, kind of fizzled out in the NBA. Um, Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley, of course, never really fulfilled uh, their promise as uh, great college players that never really became much in the NBA. Um, is there anything else on Grant Hill you want to touch on? I want to ask you about the uh, the current magic a little bit going into this season, too. Oh, sure. Um, you know, not I mean, the only thing that I, that I would touch on is is. You know, kind of, I, I, kind of like how you said. You know, Detroit fans were a little, you know, miffed when when he left. Uh, you know, I, I know Magic fans have such a very weird relationship with Brian Hill um, because uh, he was such just unfulfilled promise. Um, you know, again, playing only four games his first year. You know, fourteen is next year, twenty nine is next year, and then missing an entire season in two thousand four. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of unfulfilled promise, and and I remember distinctly when after that two thousand. 2007 season a lot of magic fans were, were angry at grand hill for not coming back in 2008 i think a lot of magic fans kind of had this notion that kill the magic paid so much money for grand hill over the course of the previous seven seasons and he didn't kind of give it back or, or, or take a discount to stay when in reality the magic wanted to move on they they wanted to get kind of not get Grant Hill out of the locker room because it was a problem, but they wanted to turn leadership over to Dwight Howard and Jameer Nelson. They just made the playoffs for the first time. They felt like they were ready to kind of step into that leadership role. And, you know, when you have the mentor there still in place, you don't take the full reins of the team. And, and that decision obviously turned out to be a good one because Orlando won the division the next year, um, lost again to the Pistons in the second round that, that, that season, and then eventually went on to the NBA finals uh, two years later in 2009. Um, but, I remember Grant Hill coming back the first time with the Phoenix Suns and he got booed and it was, it was a real debate. I, I remember reading in the Orlando Sentinel um, debate about whether magic fans should boo Grant Hill. And it was kind of shocking to, to hear magic fans boo Grant Hill, because if you followed the team fair, fairly closely, you, you understood that this is a guy who, who did everything he could to play for this team and, and his body just wouldn't allow him, allow it to happen. And I think, Fans' stances have softened on Hill and Orlando, at least. But I still run into fans. I still, you know, whenever I've talked about Grand Hill in the past, um, I still run into fans who and followers who who are angry at Grand Hill for not fulfilling the contract that he signed, the massive contract that he signed, even though twenty nine other teams would have signed Grand Hill to that exact same contract in two thousand, even with the ankle injury lingering over him. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's it again. It, it's interesting that with the Pistons situation and the Magic situation, it's almost carbon copies. You had the the Magic as a young team um, before, but as a young franchise before, but they were coming off of their best era in franchise history, getting to the NBA Finals with Shaq and Penny, and then they leave and trying to and, and Penny having his knee problems, trying to figure out what to do next. The Pistons the same way with the Bad Boys, the best era in franchise history that fizzles out as, as years always do. And then a couple of years go by, they're trying to figure out what to do with themselves going forward. And Grant Hill lands in both of those situations at those times has six years of uh, now, obviously 
with the Pistons' very good play that that's, that kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth with all the first-round exits. And then in Orlando, just the, the injuries hampered um, him from really getting off the ground in Orlando in any meaningful way. And then the teams, like you said, Orlando gets back to the NBA Finals a year or so after that. Uh, they, they build this new um, – you know, the wave of the franchise that, that goes very successfully uh, for a, a period of time there. And the Pistons the same way. They get back uh, to championship form a couple years later, I guess uh, four years after Grant leaves, they're back winning an NBA title, but certainly back in the Eastern Conference Finals in short order after he leaves. So interesting to me how that's going to shake down um, in, in this week as we read the articles, as we listen to some of the interviews that he does. We watch his speech on Friday night in Springfield. I'm going to be watching it. It just, it's, it's like you said, I mean, he's booed in Orlando in Detroit. He's not really held up on the pedestal as guys like Tayshawn Prince and Vinnie Johnson, certainly lesser players than Grant Hill um, career wise. And then in Phoenix, you know, is, is a, is a role player on a team that itself never really never wins the title and gets over the hump either. And certainly a team that's more, um, you know, tied in with the success of Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion more so than Grant Hill. So as far as a hall of fame guy who, you know, doesn't really have a home that he calls his professional cherished place. Um, really, I mean, he's mostly affiliated with success at Duke. And uh, again, an outstanding career, an outstanding talent. Like you mentioned, one of the preeminent players of the mid-90s. But an interesting career and one that uh, might have you uh, scratching your head if you're looking back on it uh, as we do now. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think Grand Hill will be someone people debate for for a very, very long time, and, and certainly, I think one of the great what ifs in in NBA history of of what he what he could have been um, if he if he was healthy. Absolutely. Now, Philip, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Magic this year. We got Mo Bamba, one of the more intriguing rookies coming into the class. I, I, as a Pistons uh, follower here, obviously, we're just you know the ninth team in the playoffs last year, so just outside of it, we feel like Cleveland probably drops out of the playoffs. But although there is some noise from some folks that Cleveland might still be a playoff team even without LeBron James, um, not a not a whole lot otherwise that you would expect to be worse than the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference. And then you got maybe Charlotte alongside of uh, Detroit as a team that might try to get back into the playoffs. Do you think that the Magic or is there any other team in the East that were, you know, towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference last year? Do you think there's one of those teams and in is Orlando maybe one of those teams that creeps up into that um middle class of the Eastern Conference this year? You know, I I I I've kind of said it this way. There is a universe where the Orlando Magic are a playoff contending team. Um, you know, in, in this Eastern Conference especially. You get hot at the right time. You string together enough wins, and you hold on tight. Anything can happen. Um, you know this. This is a Magic team, though, that is rel- is relatively the same as it was last year. Yes, yes, they have a new coach in Steve Clifford. Um, yes, they've added Muhammad Bamba, but for the most part, it's the same roster as last year's twenty five win team. Um, that team was beset by a lot of injuries. Um, you know, more than two hundred games lost to injuries. 
Uh, and, and and Magic fans still like to, to say and remember, and, and coaching, the coaches have even said this, you know, the Magic started the year eight and four. That wasn't nothing. That that that, that team overperformed, sure, and, and looked like they were going to crash back down to earth at some point. But it, it wasn't like it's an insignificant amount of time, and 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 it isn't like you know you you can look back and say you know injuries really just gutted the team. And and if so, if the team could stay healthy, who knows what they could be? But I think realistically, the Magic are kind of on the outside of that group looking in. I think. Really, a, a realistic and, and and achievable goal for the Magic is to to be in the playoff conversation heading into the All Star play All Star break to play meaningful games later into the season. Uh, but it they're probably going to be a team that falls off at the end of, at the end of the year. That they're they're not, they're not going to be able to keep pace with those teams that are competing to get into the playoff spots. You know your you know your Detroit's, your Charlotte's. I think are, are the two best te- two best teams to to try and sneak into the into the playoff picture. Um, over a team like Cleveland, who's also going to, I think, going to be fighting for that spot. Um, you know, maybe Brooklyn's ready. I, I, I'm not sold that Brooklyn's ready. I don't think Chicago's ready, um, and I don't think New York's ready uh, unless Kristaps Porzingis is miraculously that much that much healthier than 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 people uh, think he will be. I, I think he's going to really need a full year to get back to full health. Uh, and so I think the Eastern Conference playoff races is more realistically um, a, a race of, you know. 10 teams fighting for those eight spots. And, you know, yeah, there's a universe where I think the magic are in that group or could find themselves in that group, but it's going to take a lot of things going really right. It's going to take a surprise jump from Aaron Gordon or Jonathan Isaac. Um, it's going to take, a, you know, full health. Cause this is just not a very deep team, especially at the point guard position where DJ Augustine is, is going to end up being the starter. It looks like um, it, it's going to take a lot of things going really, really right for the magic. Uh, to to stay in that playoff race and and they're just they're just probably not quite there yet. Well, I, I tend to agree with most of what you're saying, but that being said, I I, I got to believe that of that group, there's going to be at least one team that's going to hang around for much of the year, like you said. Maybe that's the All Star break. Maybe it's longer than that. I don't know if Orlando's that team, but I'm looking at the Eastern Conference and I got to believe that there's some team that we're not talking about that's going to jump into that group. And not just not that there's great young talent on some of that team or, or someone's ready to break out, but just because of the, the mediocrity or maybe that's even putting it too, uh, too nicely for the Eastern Conference right now, that just that there's got to be someone who we're not thinking of that gets hot. Maybe it's one of these new coaches like Steve Clifford or um, you know someone out there who we're not talking about yet who's, uh, who's going to set the world on fire for a couple months and uh, hit some shots. But a lot of young talent in Orlando – but it seems like we've been saying that for a while now. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that, that you guys are able to uh, put it together, stay healthy, and uh, get some of those young guys moving in the right direction this year. For, for sure. And obviously Detroit, you know, Detroit I think is in a position where they're, they're trying to win now, obviously, with, with, Blake Griff, with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond there. Um, what was your assessment on, on how that pairing worked to end last season? Obviously a little bit of a transition now with Dwayne Casey coming in. As a head coach, what are the ex- I mean, the expectations for Detroit? I imagine are make the playoffs, but what's what's the outlook looking like? What's the feeling about this Pistons team heading into the season? Well, another common trait of our history with Stan Van Gundy as the coach last season in Detroit, it, it didn't go very well, and they didn't play. It was only about you know 15, 20 games that they were playing together uh, at the end of the day, and most of it was a, a few desperate games before they were you know realistically out of the playoff shot spot halfway into. Um, Blake Griffin's time with the Pistons but it you know Blake Griffin got his numbers in Detroit and did pretty well at times um but also 
it was kind of a one-man show at times offensively, and when his shot wasn't falling from the outside, uh, it just wasn't pretty at times. And really, the the worst thing about the pairing between Drummond and Griffin is uh, Drummond, early on in the season when the Pistons were playing really well, was doing a lot of the things in the high post and away from the basket that Griffin was doing later on in the season. A lot of the dribble handoffs, a lot of assists from cutters and a lot of the pick and roll action as well now encouragingly so I think that they there is a nice pick and roll to be done with those two guys together on the court but at the end of the year it kind of turned into old Andre where they were posting him up a little bit and he was strictly a rebounder and strictly a guy who finishes alley-oops whereas early in the season they seem to have find, found a formula that brought him back to the all-star game and filled up the stat sheet uh, more so than they had in any time in his career in Detroit so far so all the encouraging signs that Drummond was able to get, to Stan Van Gundy's credit early on in the season, he wasn't able to find a way for Griffin and Drummond to be on the court successfully together uh, and uh, be able to do a lot of the things that Drummond was doing early on in the season. Now, that's Dwayne Casey's biggest charge. In addition to getting young guys like Stanley Johnson and Luke Kennard and maybe even Henry Allenson to uh, become, you know, take that next step in Henry's case, maybe a couple steps forward uh, as far as being regular contributors and consistent contributors to the team because those guys are going to need to play better because, you know, Reggie Blake and and uh, Andre is a, is a decent group to start off with, but certainly not one that's going to carry you deep into the playoffs with just those three alone. So, yeah, the optimism is that they'll, they'll get back in the playoffs and that the Eastern Conference isn't very good, and hopefully you catch a Philly injury or maybe a, uh, some Boston problems or something like that and get out of the first round for the first time since, uh, you know, Chauncey Billups was taking on teams like Orlando uh, back in the day. So th- there's a little bit of optimism, but I was, I was refreshed to hear uh, yourself uh, give, uh, you know, a realistic look at the magic and that it's possible that they could sneak up there, but probably not likely. Um, I think every fan base and probably every lockdown host maybe is a little bit rose colored goggles right now in August, as we wait for our teams to get training camp going, but uh, nice to hear that uh, at least one of you, one of us is being realistic about things. Yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, my 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 feeling is if you can't be optimistic in in early September about your team, there's you're never going to be optimistic about your team. You, you can be realistic, but you know, I I, I think the Magic are, have done a good job tempering expectations. Uh, I, I don't think anyone. I think Steve Clifford's kind of gone around and said, "Why can't we be the team that surprises everyone?" I think we've got the talent, and some of that is some of that is yeah, you got to pump your team up a little bit. Show you're the new coach. You got to show you believe in those guys that that even though you haven't coached them yet, that, that you see something in them and, and get them to buy in. But, um, but I mean, I, the real, the realistic thing is the magic still have a lot of holes they need to fill and, and probably need another draft to, to add that last piece uh, and, and hopefully get some internal development to, to move, move their team forward. But, you know, like you said, it feels like the Eastern conference it, at the bottom, at least the middle of the Eastern conference, those last few playoff spots are really wide open. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, I've kind of looked at the playoff picture, and I think there's maybe five or six teams that I feel very comfortable saying they're in the playoffs. Um, there's probably another two that I'm like, they're probably in, but if things go wrong, they could be out. Uh, and then there's, like I said, maybe three teams battling for that last spot, last those, those last two spots uh, to make the Eastern Conference playoffs, and then everyone else is kind of jockeying to, to get into that that group to, to fight for one of those last spots. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the season goes. Um, Obviously, Hall of Fame time means that the the regulars that that training camps are near, uh, and I think we're all we're all eager to to get this thing started now. 
Absolutely. Well, Philip, I enjoyed uh, having this conversation and hopefully your listeners enjoyed a little bit of the insight from here up north in Michigan. If any of the Magic followers uh, want to uh, get in touch with me on social media, give me a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore. And then my last name, which is Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that for the end of the Twitter handle. And also the Lockdown Pistons Twitter account at Lockdown Pistons, very aptly named there. As well, also on uh, Facebook, Locked On Pistons Dash Matchup. We'd appreciate all the likes and all the follows and all the retweets and all that good stuff. And uh, we'll be watching on Friday along with you guys down south. And, uh, you know, thanks for taking care of Grant for six years. And hopefully when he shows up in Orlando for um, future situations, he's not booed out of the floor there. It's the booing. The booing has stopped. I, I, can, I can report that. Um, I think fans are. Uh, he's, he still lives in Orlando. Still, I think he still lives in Orlando for the most part in the offseason. Obviously, he has a stake in the Atlanta Hawks now as well. Um, but uh, I, I think I think those those feelings have have smoothed over, thankfully, because because Grant, you know, the other thing that I didn't mention was Grant won the team's community uh, service award. I think twice when he was in Orlando. So so he did he did use a lot of that free time very very well, and and I think did do some very positive things. Uh, in the Orlando community, even even if he wasn't able to play uh, on on the floor for for the Magic, uh, so um, I, I've I've always liked Grain Hill. I've I've had the had the pleasure to meet him a few times. He's been nothing but gracious. Um, and I think how he portrays himself on TV is very much who he is, which I think is 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 a very good per a very good person and and, and someone who is easy to talk to um, uh, whenever whenever you're around him. Um, you can, of course, uh, definitely follow Matt and follow Lockdown Pistons if, if you're ever looking for Pistons information. If you're looking for Magic information, you can, of course, find us on iTunes. Just search for Lockdown Magic. You can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Magic and like us on Facebook as well at Lockdown Magic. And, of course, uh, you can visit my site, orlandomagicdaily.com, for the latest on the Orlando Magic as we get set for this 30th anniversary season. Um, but Matt, I want to thank you for coming on and talking a little bit about Grand Hill's career. Um, and until we see each other in the playoffs, um, uh, have, have a good one, man. Yeah, hopefully that that day comes soon for both of these franchises. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Until next time, for Matt, for Locked On Magic and Locked On Pistons, this has been Philip Rossenreich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic. Your daily Orlando Magic Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 